0: One, two, three, the devil's after me, four, five, six, he's always throwing sticks, seven, eight, nine, he misses all the time, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh man. All right. Reminds me of a story of a little country church where they were having church and boy having a good song service and. All of a sudden, now nowhere the floor began to rumble and began to shake. And right out of the middle of the church, out of the ground, came this ugly looking. It was the devil himself. And everybody in that church ran out the back door except one elderly man that sat in the back. And the devil went up to him and roared, Rah! and the older man just looked at him. And he
1: roared, Rah!
0: And he just looked at him, and the devil kind of ran out of breath and said, Do you know who I am? And the older man said, Well, I should. I've been married to your sister for 50 years. Now, if you come to this church, you know how to handle the devil. But you know you don't say that about your wife. I am so glad that you're here. We've been talking about distractions. And uh, how, how distractions come into our life to get us off of the, the way, the journey that God has for us. And, and you know as well as me, whatever gets our attention uh, determines our direction. Our direction over time determines where we're going to end up, our destiny. And we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and really we even started on Easter, just discussing the, the things that are the big three in the parable of the sower, is the worries of life. Just all the things that we can worry about are distractions in our life. When we walk in our identity, these distractions come in. We're the child of a king. We're the child of the king. We're a child of God. We, we have eternity in mind, but, but the distractions of the worries of life come in and go, Hey, over here! And we turn and we go, Oh, we focus on that. And we start getting lower and lower. I, I do too. And, and then the, it says the deceitfulness of riches. And, and pretty soon, if I'm not careful, I think, Ooh, I got that kind of that, that, that disease that said, if I just had that new or if I just had that right there, I'd be so much more happier. It's a distraction. Hi, hey, over here. And I, I turn and I look and I go, oh, I'm not, I'm not all that because I don't have that right there. Distractions. And then the third one we've talked about was the desire for other things. And it's amazing how God sums it all up in those three things. The desire for other things, just kind of fill in the blank. Anything that will get your attention, your distraction, away from the things of God and the ways of God and the Word of God that is the the whole illumination of the path that we're walking on, the Word of God, anything that gets us off of that as a distraction... Keeps us from going into the way that God has for us. Therefore, the destiny that we end up, we go, how did I get here? We know the whole transformation process and how when we come to God, the Word of God begins to change our thinking. And the Word of God takes us to destination, but it's the distractions that gets us off. Now, this morning... What, what's so amazing about the revelation of the Word of God, you know what I mean? When you're reading the Word of God for yourself, and, and there's something about uh, firsthand revelation, when, when you read the Word of God and you go, I, I never saw that before. Or maybe you're sitting in a sermon like this, and the Word of God is presented in a way, and you go, wow, it comes of the light bulb, the eureka moment, you know, goes off, and you go, okay, okay, I can see that. And it gives you an empowerment, now watch this, to walk in your identity who God has already spoken, or who you are in your life, what God has spoken over your life. Who you are, your identity. There's something about Revelation that brings us back to the point that it's almost like, I just recently saw this, and it, it, was, it was on the Weather Channel. On my phone and I was looking for the weather and they had those little videos and I I saw this guy and he's holding this, really this goldfish and it's the size of a football. And I went, oh, no. And I, I clicked on it and it said that someone had thrown in goldfish into a lake and they found these goldfish as big as a football. Now, a goldfish that swims in a little bowl will only stay three or four inches But if it can break out of its confinement and has a bigger uh, lake to swim in, it begins to grow bigger than in that confined. If this morning the word of God goes forth and you begin to see something, if the Holy Spirit, if you'll allow him to begin speaking in your life, which is the mind of God, the spirit of God, he begins to inform us of revelation that we begin to go, wow! All this little mindedness and that scarcity mindset, and all the things that go on in the culture that we live in, realize that we're, as the word of God says, that we are being trained to rule and reign with Christ. Now, see that, that statement right there, a lot of people will just go, Well, you know, I just, I really can't get to that point, Pastor. So this morning, I want to encourage you just to be as the Word of God is spoken over your life, to take notes, because there's always going to be, I don't know, but you go to the Word of God yourself and be a self-feeder, and you look at this. Don't, Don't let any, even John Miller, be the end all to all the revelation, or all the Word of God that is spoken into your life. I challenge you to go to the word of God for yourself. But this morning, as this word goes forth and gets you thinking on this area of your life, I want you to be vulnerable. Say, God, if it's your word for my life, again, I want you to research it. I want you to, I want you to see it for yourself that John Miller isn't making it up. And then you begin to say, God, allow this revelation to begin working in my life. That's what I ask. Let's pray. Father, today, I ask that you would give us revelation out of your word. Father, like I pray every week before I preach, that you use my voice to speak and customize this message to each person, what you have going on in their life, the questions they have. Father, the blockades that have been put up in their life, they're broken down. God, whatever it is, God, we allow your Holy Spirit To sow the Word of God in our life. And God, today we're going for 30, 60, and 100-fold what is planted in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 15, he says, Jesus says, I am the vine, and if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Now, now think about this. Every time I read that, it it just is so concrete. You know, it's just... You do this and you'll have that. There's something about that you'll bear much fruit. That, that's God speaking. Now, a lot of times we think, well, we'll just bear just enough to get by. Or if somebody else bears more fruit than us, then there's not enough fruit for me. But our God is the God of more than enough. He picks up 12 baskets. Fools of of fish and bread after the feeding of the 5,000. You don't have enough to feed really one little guy because that's all we have is a lunch. That's hardly not enough to feed him. But no, God says, no, no, I'm the God of more than enough and I'll prove it to you right now. And begins to pray and break it. And they begin to pass it out, pass it out, pass it out, pass it out, pass it out. Okay, everybody's full. Can you imagine this guy over here going, me first, me first. I don't think there's going to be enough. And Jesus says, Relax. And after everybody's had their fill, and remember there's 5,000 men plus women and children. Nobody knows exactly the amount, but they think that there could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 to 20,000 people on that hillside as they begin to feed those people with that, just that five loaves and two fishes. The God of more than enough. <sighs> Aren't you glad? Have you ever had people over? And you had something happen where the food that you were serving wasn't enough? If, ladies, you ever been in that spot before, you know how it feels. Oh, we don't have enough. And we start looking and, and the big guy that goes through the buffet line, you know, he wham, wham, wham with the mashed potatoes and you go, easy, easy. As a pastor here now for 26 years, that's one thing that I ask all the ladies that we never run out of food. We're not doing the last bit where we're scraping it out. Anybody else? Really, we got some more. Wait just a minute. Anybody else? No, we want to have more than enough. Now this morning, the the Word of God comes forth as Proverbs chapter 4 says in Solomon's uh, speaking, he says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning So do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Now again, is he actually saying, you don't keep my commands and you're going to die? I believe that he's talking, you're going to have the life that God can bring you, the abundant life, again, that the world that we live in cannot contemplate. But if you follow the commandments, you're going to have that abundant life. Now listen, in verse 5, he says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. I don't know why he used the pronoun she. But we'll just leave it there. She and wisdom. Okay. And she will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. Talking about wisdom. In verse 7, this is the verse. Look at this. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Now watch this. Even to this point, get wisdom. It's mind-boggling. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Now that comment is either insane or the Word of God is telling us that wisdom, we can even invest all that we have because it's going to be more than enough eventually. The wisdom of God coming on us. Get wisdom, get understanding. Out of all the verses that God speaks about in the New Testament, sometimes we we kind of don't realize that he's trying to get our attention until we realize that the focus he puts on the area of our stewardship. Now, watch this. Out of all the verses on prayer and faith, there are 500. But there's 2,000 on money and stewardship. Did you hear me? 2,000 for every one on prayer and faith. There's another three on our stewardship. Out of 38 parables in the New Testament, 16 was about money and stewardship. And again, as we learn how to administrate what God has given us, again, God is saying, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give it to the full and to the overflow. Now, Now watch this. This morning, we're going to be talking about giving, and especially on tithing. And a lot of times, people only have the knowledge of tithing on what somebody has told them. And if you attend this church, if if I preached on one subject, if it was speaking in tongues, if it was being uh, like that, filled with the Holy Spirit, if it was on overcoming depression, if it was a overcoming fear, or if it was on tithing, we would be, out of balance. Or we could meet every day of the week and I could just say that we do that every week. There's only so much that we can spend and again it comes back to the believer and being a self-feeder. So this morning I, I want you to be aware of that before we start because your amount of revelation on the subject will determine the wisdom and understanding that you operate. I usually ask somebody in my family over lunch, what did you think about the sermon? And we talked about stewardship, and Luke last week said, it went great. And I went, okay. And, 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 and then he thought a minute, he goes, well, he said, you kind of spoke on distractions, and then boom, get out your checkbook. <laughs> I said, what? So I don't want to be booming anybody by surprising this morning. We're going to be talking about the blessings of God in our life and how God gives us the ability to walk in the freedom of giving. And this morning, that's what I hope you see. In Exodus chapter 13, it says this. Something that in our culture, we we just have a problem when we look at it this way. It says in Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me whether male or whether man or animal. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb, redeem with a lamb, every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now, the first point of my message this morning is, the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. This is something, again, when you understand about tithing, we go all the way back to God beginning to explain to his people the importance of it. And if this morning you're young and maybe you you go, well, you know, kind of like me, I, I, I grew up in church, but the first time I heard I was pretty young about tithing. And someone says, do you tithe? And I thought, well, I have a clip on tithe, but I, I don't know if I give it. That's not the tithe that we're talking about. Tithe, T-I-T-H-E. And here's what I want you to see. In First Corinthians chapter 10, God says, these things, talking about all the things of the Bible and the people in the Bible, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall or you don't fall. The Lord says, as an example, to the people of God that the firstborn, the firstborn animal, the firstborn male belonged to him. It was to be a clean animal, which was not like his example of a donkey. So if if they, to have a donkey out of the firstborn, it had to be redeemed by a lamb. The lamb was sacrificed for that animal. Now again, we begin in our culture to say, is this about God asking the people that He has chosen to redeem it by having a sacrifice for that unclean animal? I want you to see it as a, as a parallel to us this morning that we as human beings have been born into sin nature because of the sin of Adam in the garden of uh, Eden and when he chose to sin to be disobedient to God. And we as unclean people were redeemed by God's first and only son, Jesus Christ on the cross. He was the lamb that was slain because of his blood. We have the opportunity again to be redeemed. We're able to be bought back and restored to what God had purposed. What a wonderful parallel to what he's talking about. But but here's what's so amazing is just like God was asking His people, God did not wait in order for us to to choose Him. Watch this. You could say that God, even as an example to us, acted in faith when He gave His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to redeem us before we even chose Him. And that's what God asked of us in our tithing. Just like in our tithing, we give by faith before we have to see the blessing come. Everybody with me on that? Now, let me show you something else. The Passover. We have the Lord's Supper again that, that uh, is what Jesus did is the last supper of the communion that goes all the way back to the first communion or the first Passover is when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. If you don't know this story, it's in Exodus And the Bible says that the people, all the firstborn, as the plague, the last plague, the last plague before they fled Egypt, all the firstborn were going to be killed. Now watch this. Even the Jewish people, firstborn. But the only way that they would not be killed was that a lamb was slain and put over the blood over the doorpost of that person's home, signifying that the firstborn was redeemed, that they were children of God. Now, now, again, this is an amazing fact that a lot of people go, I don't really understand all that. But when you understand as administrators of God that he is asking us again to give him 10% or the first 10% as a tithe to, again, represent that it belongs to him. Now, now you think, well, how in the world could God ask or demand the, the firstborn to be killed? Because we read it earlier, the firstborn belonged to him. God made a way. To redeem the firstborn. And that's exactly what happened. The death angel passed over Egypt. And you can imagine that those that chose not to redeem their firstborn. Lost their sons. Lost those in their family. Again a sign of blessing that came upon them. Again tithing is an act of faith. That's what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Time and time again, what we see is God blessing those people that step, step out of their comfort zone and by faith believed him. I heard an illustration, and, and you've seen it before on a video, but whose french fries are you eating? And it was a story about a, a father that went to a fast food restaurant and bought french fries for his son. I mean, it was, it was just a, a whole you know lot of french fries. And the, the little boy began to eat the french fries. And he had, you know, just like a whole tray full of french fries. And the father reached down to grab one french fry. And the little boy smacked his hand and said, that's my french fries. And if, if you've had a, any children, you know that that's how they act. Now, here's the thought. That the father could have disciplined and said, those are all my french fries. He could have said, would you quit that? You're my son. You belong to me too. But again, as a loving father, as we do that, God gives us the way. He gives us the choice to choose to do the things that he has given us and choose not to. If, If we choose not to, then that's on us. In the New Testament, it says that the new church gave themselves to the Lord on the first day of the week. Now, why did they? We know that Jesus was crucified on the first day of the week, but also that the first day of the week is the first day. It is the first that God says, I want you to meet. The second thing that I want you to see about tithing is in the Old Testament, it says the first fruits must be offered. Now, listen to these verses. Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil, to the house of the Lord your God. In Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10. It says. Honor the Lord your wealth. With the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Again. Bring the first fruits. There's, there's something about God that says. I want the first. There's something about giving the first. That keeps our focus. If you're like me, you know that the day comes when something's going, hey, 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 and you go, no, I can't do that right now because I'm committed to tithing in my income. Because my God owns everything, and with what I do with my resources is to bring God God glory. And so many times it keeps me from getting distracted on other things that come into my life, especially the deceitfulnesses of wealth, and also when it comes the worries of life. And I thank God you promised in Malachi that you would rebuke the devourer in my life. And a lot of times Gwen and I will even take communion to remind us of the covenant of what God has promised. Again, the second point is that the first fruits must be offered. Well, let me give you another example of this. The children of Israel are coming into what God has promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And what's so amazing is God says, when you get to that place, there's going to be things that will happen. I want, you to ha- I want you to remember that I am the one that gives you the ability to gain wealth. It's not you. I'm giving you the promise, and now you'll see the promise fulfilled in your life. Joshua and the children of Israel go in, and the city that they're going to conquer now remember they are acting in faith when God says I want everything all the spoils out of the first country to put in to be put into the temple of God we see nobody arguing about that except after the battle we know that a man named Achan goes in and he steals some of the things and hides it under his tent he buries it in the in in, underneath the tent so nobody knows Now, if you want to read this, I encourage you to do it in the book of Joshua because what happens is a series of events happens where the children of Israel see the blessing of God, leave them in battle, the next battle. And they come out and they confront the guy that has stolen. Now, again, this is in the Bible. And the Bible says that they bring him out and he confesses. He says, you know, hey, this is... when, when I think about that, Achan had a point. He doesn't know if they're going to be successful in any more cities. God didn't say, though, I want you to conquer ten cities and give me one. He said, I want you to conquer Jericho, the first city, and I want that one. Matter of fact, later in, in 6, 7, and then you go into ver- uh, chapter 8 of Joshua, It says that God says, okay, the next city is Ai and Bethel. You'll go up and conquer them. The same thing as in Jericho, except all the spoils are yours. Again, God showing the principle of the first belonging to him. If you go back to even the beginning. Here's the garden of Eden. You got Adam and Eve and their sons and Cain and Abel are there. And the Bible says this in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks. You know what that is, right? Sheep. And Cain worked the soil. Now in verse 3, I want you to see this. It says... In the course of time, Cain bro- brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Did anybody catch anything right there? In the course of time. Listen to that. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the portion of the from some of the firstborn of the flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, I believe that Cain brought an offering, listen to this, in the course of time, where Abel brought the sacrifice from his firstborn of his flock. Again, Abel honors God with his first, but Cain does it out of his time. I'll wait until I have enough crops to give God some. Really, when you think about it, where it starts, when all these distractions in life are trying to get your attention so that you get off of God, where it starts is knowing God and what He expects in our life and who you are as an identity, as as who you are in your identity. I want you to watch a video that sums this up. Watch this.
1: Two men bring an offering to the Lord. One of the fruit of the ground. The other, the firstborn of his flock. God accepts one and rejects the other. Why? Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word tells us clearly that the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crops. It simply says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering Cain harvested his crops and over time gathered enough to bring an offering. It was an offering on Cain's terms. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first of his increase. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the first of his. Giving the first to God requires faith. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. But Abel gave his firstborn lamb in faith whereas Cain made sure he had enough for himself before giving to God. Many of us treat God the same way as Cain, making sure we have enough money before we see if there's anything left for God. Even if we give from what's left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, The Lord gave strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. All of it belonged to him, the Lord declared. Jericho belonged to the Lord because it was the first city conquered in the Promised Land. It was the first fruits. God withheld his blessing from Israel when one man took some of the spoils for himself. The first belongs to God. There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac. When God asked for his son, Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac. He gave the first, when he only had one to give. Abraham had only the promise of having more sons. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac, faith that God respected and blessed. And God did the same for us. He gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. Giving the first fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life. And I trust you. Take care of the rest.
0: It's so amazing how God has set up a system to keep us focused on Him. But when it talk, when we talk about the word of God helping us overcome depression, oh yeah, overcoming fear, oh yeah, being good stewards. Wait just a minute, that those are my dollar bills. So the system that God has created again is the third point, and that is the tithe must be first. In Leviticus twenty-seven, it says, "A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, or fruit." From the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, now again, let me say it again. The first point was the firstborn, the first fruits, and the tithe all belongs to the Lord. Now, the, the more that I have been a pastor, the more that I realize that the, the push against tithing comes because of the culture that we live in. We know that money sustains life. We know that. We know that we need food and clothing and shelter and then it expands to luxuries and stuff like that. So when it comes to a system that God places in, people begin to push back and say stuff like, well, pastor, tithing is of the Old Testament and we are not under the Old Testament law anymore. Now, here's what I want you to know. And it... it, Let me say it this way. If it was good under the law, then somehow people are saying it's bad now. That's like saying because it was bad under the law, it's good now. That's crazy. That God set up a principle, again, I believe, to say you're number one in my life, God. When people go against what God is saying, their their distractions in their life get them all over the place and those distractions begin to be lord of their life. If it's the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches, or the desires for other things. Let me tell you, the worries of life can come upon you and you can be depressed and you know as well as me, you can stay in bed and you can't even get out because all you can do is focus on that. It's the deceitfulness of riches that can get a hold of you to the point where you're saying, I've got to have more money. I think it's pretty interesting, isn't it, that the most richest man right now in the world, if you think of it as Bill Gates, he is, he's now come to the realization that he's beginning to give away billions of dollars. Warren Buffett is one of the richest men, and they go one and two and three and four all the time, depending on what the value of the stock market is. But even Warren Buffett for so long said, I will not give mine away. It's not going to happen. And he he became, you know, rigid on that. And some things began to turn. And and it's kind of interesting that Bill Gates became one of his best friends. Now Warren Buffett is going to give away, like Bill Gates, most of all of his wealth. Because they've realized the deceitfulness of riches can begin to get a hold of somebody to the point of, what is your life worth? You don't throw away a principle set up by God because it was by the law or after the law. But just for your information, tithing happened way before the law was even set up. If you go back to, a lot of people go back as far as Melchizedek, which was a priest in the Old Testament that Abraham actually gave tithe to. That was before Moses and the law. But you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I, it's kind of amazing that God said, you can have anything in the garden, but this one tree is mine. Again, focus. See, we get all caught up in saying, God, I, I don't know if tithing is for me. And God says, I don't need your money, but this system will keep you focused on me. If you put me first. It's a principle of God. And we know it doesn't take much to, too much age to know that actions speak louder than words. We know that really when it comes down to it, what our checkbook register says is first or our calendar is what we put first in our life. Because we're never too busy to do what we want to do in our life. I think a believer in tithing says, God, I trust you. Before the blessing even comes into my life, I'm saying that I trust you. I think a person that has not learned how to tithe I'm not saying he's a bad person. If you're hearing that, I'm not saying that. But really, they're to a point in their identity with God that they're saying, you know, I'm not really for sure if God can deliver on this area of blessing in my life. So I'm going to keep back some, and then if I have enough, then I will give. But now listen. If you swim in the revelation of just salvation, let me tell you, you, salvation is everything. It's a free gift that God did for all of us. But there is things that God has placed in our life and the more the word of God has revelation that you begin to push out the the little fishbowl that we live in and think, this is what our culture says of us. This is how you live life. This is what our culture says this will bring. God says, oh no, I have so much more. Than that. If you'll just trust me. If you'll just dare to believe what I say. We talked about Malachi chapter 3. And even God. To imagine that the God of the universe has to even say these words. That tithing. If you do that. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing. That you will not have room enough for it. I think it's easy to say, if I'm not a tither, then I can come over here and say, God's not blessing me. You know, as a pastor, probably one of the most disappointing times in my life in ministry was when the revelation or the realization came into my mind that not everybody is going to go to the mountain. And what I mean by that in the children of Israel's life is God came down and his presence was on this mountain and, and, and Moses is like, let's go to the mountain. And they said, oh, it's scary. Moses, you go to the mountain, you hear from God and then you come back and tell us. And we'll decide what we're going to do. When God says, I've set up a system, And again, you got to trust me because my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And and realize that my thoughts to your thoughts is as far as the heaven is to the earth. I mean, just so much. It's like stepping off in faith. Because see, our culture says, do, do you hear anybody complain in our world, God just wants all your money? It's never that. It's always the world saying that pastor down there at that church wants your money. The church always wants your money. Which again, if they can relay that back to every believer, then it puts doubt, which is another distraction in our minds to get off track. Instead of trusting God can do what he says he can do and blessing us so much of throwing open the floodgates of heaven and pouring out a blessing that we will not even have room for it. Now, I want you just for a few minutes to cast vision. Because a lot of times we want somebody else to do it. Can can someone else, could we just have some rich man pay, you know, all the church's bills and and all the things for the mission trip and all the things for the benevolence? One time the, the famous preacher Spurgeon was asked to come to a location and, and preach a message to this church to help retire the debt of the church. And, and the, the board member was very rich that called and said, could you come? And he, he, he said, well, tell me about it. And, and the board member says, we'll put you up in the best accommodations. He said, you can stay at one of my houses. He said, you can stay at, a, at the country house, or you can stay at the city house, or you can even stay at my seaside house. In which Spurgeon wrote back, sell one of the houses and you pay the debt. See, see the thing is about us is that if we're not careful, we, we, we begin to compete with other people until the responsibility comes on all of us. And then we begin to say, well, let them go first. Again, an act of faith is to say, God, I'll take a step. See, we all want to believe that we're the children of Israel. We believe the Hebrew children when Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them into the, the fiery furnace. We all want to believe that we're going to be like that. We're going to say, I will go to the furnace for Jesus. I will die for Jesus. But when it comes to tithing, there's something about, well, wait just a minute. That's an everyday thing. And there's some hesitation. There's some reluctance. So, Typically, they say that the universal church, not our church, but the universal church gives about 1.6% of their income every year. I believe our church is probably 20 times better than that, at about 20% of our church tithe. And when I begin to see that, I begin to think, what could the church, not only internationally, but locally do, if everybody really got a hold of the blessings of God on their life. Now now watch, if you add up everybody from front to back to right to left, everybody's income, and let's say, let's go big. We all together make a million dollars. Every, well, since we're dreaming, let's say every month. I'm not saying each one of you settle down. All right. But all together, if you sum it up, 12 million a year. And a million dollars was used for the glory of God. But here's what's amazing. What if God, that, that would be something. But what if in trusting God and believing God that tithing would bring a blessing into our lives, that that 12 million over a short time would go to 15 million, 20 million, 100 million, and the work would look like instead of where are we going to see the resources come from, it turned into where is the need the greatest? Because we have the resources to meet the need as the church. You know, there, there's something that, that's exciting about being in a building process because you can actually see the, the sticks and bricks going up. It's fun to watch, you know... Sometimes you plant seed, plant seed, plant seed, and then all of a sudden fruit because somebody says, yeah. But when you see a building going up, you see actual the manifestation of something in the spiritual realm that we prayed for, believed for, now coming out of the dirt. I mean, boom, it's there. I I talked to a guy that we have two buildings, and one is a retail space that we have no idea who's going to move into that. But in the blessings of God, that that retail space could actually pay for both buildings. Amen? I think that the Christians and the believers ought to be wise business people in the marketplace. And, and what would happen, when one guy drove by, by the way, and called me, he has a business, and, and there are all kinds of businesses now are more interested because they can see something. And, and this business is Shipley Donuts, you know, they go, hey, hey, we, just, we went by the other day, and bang, man, that just was out of the dirt, we didn't even, where'd that come from? Now, now, if you've been a part of our church, it's not a bang, there it was. It was an act of faith, and it is an act of faith every day that the the church wakes up and realizes what we've done by faith. Now, now here's the thing, is when you begin to see ministry take place, or we're, building our our coffee shop as we believe that people come into the kingdom of God because of the most popular way right now is because of relationships they have with somebody that they trust. They, They build a relationship then they hear because they believe what the person is saying and then they come into the kingdom of God. We believe that we can build a coffee shop that people that will never set foot into this building will come for a cup of coffee. Now, again, we're not going to ambush them and go, do you know you're going to die and go to hell if you drink that coffee? I mean, if you if you do. No. But again, a place of relationship. Building. But on top of that, the resources that is going from this church is all the way going to, to, to realize that we're going to buy coffee from a mission in Honduras. That the orphanage, the the, the school, or the children that's in Honduras, again, are Fully operated by voluntary donations. The government doesn't write them a check. They have to have offerings in order to support that. And if you've ever ran a church ministry, you realize that resources can come here and they can go all the way down. So you better be a wise manager throughout the whole year. And when I talked to the the director of the orphanage, he goes, you would be willing to buy 6 thousand pounds of coffee and he kind of gets that quiver voice he says he's in Honduras but I can picture him going I can talk to you pastor you know how times get tough And he said, because this year and every year there's something around the world, a Hurricane Harvey or or something that happens, a tragedy, and all those donations switch over here, which is a good thing. We want them to be supported, but our ministry takes a very suffering point. He says, if you are able to do that, it would help us out so much. I felt like I needed to dust off my cape and put it on. I said, we want to do that. Because God has given us at the chapel resources. And we believe that we put us, he put us together with you. Yesterday, the biggest problem and John had sent me on the internet, uh, they can't sell coffee to the United States anymore because the cost of just transporting coffee to the United States is so expensive. But here's what's amazing with God. He says, test me and see. I call a coffee import company and I tell him what we're going to do and he says, we would like to partner with you on that. Now, if I call FedEx and UPS to, to transport coffee from Honduras at that much weight, it's literally in the like a ten to twenty thousand dollars what I was getting quotes on. But this company, he says, matter of fact, I live in Honduras, but I have a house in Houston. He says a fraction of the cost if you want me to. And I'm saying, I want you to. I don't even know what you're going to do. I want you to. He says, we'll drive our trucks to the mission. We'll load up the raw green beans that's unhold. We'll drive it to our mill. We'll mill it We'll drive it all the way down to the coast of Cortez. Is that what the coast? Of? Okay, Cortez. We'll put it on a liner and we'll ship it to Texas. or to, Yeah, Houston. And my brother will get it off the ship and get it all through three different government checkpoints that they got to go through every kind of chip. I have no idea. Do you know how to do that? I didn't think so. Either do I. But he does. And he says, Pastor... We'll put it on a truck and we'll deliver it to your door. I said, "Well, where do I send the check? Don't send any money until we're at your door." God, how, how do you know that? I want, well, John, you've been praying in tongues about it for months. I said, "I have." I said, i receive it. So yesterday, phone conference between Honduras, the coffee company, trading company that's importing it, and it's set to begin the process in the middle of May to Texas. I love it that John's, I believe that was your community group, the Alliance community group in this area, they, they put no uh, little comments on their what's going in over there on Golden Triangle. And somebody says, I hear it's a coffee shop going in. And I, they, they just a little bit of well, what's happening over there. It's because a group of people believe that they're going to touch a community because of the resources that God has given us. Do, do you realize that before we started that, we're debt free? You do realize that it's easier for a pastor to operate a church debt free. But again, we're sowing back into our community. Well, let me just ask you to, to trust God. In John Miller's mind, I would not have built a coffee shop if I didn't hear from God. Pastor, you say it's going to make a lot of money. I don't know. I'm walking by faith just like all of us. But I do know that I'm going to trust God tomorrow. I might get distracted every once in a while. But I'm going to come back to the realization that God, you're number one in my life, and I'm going to give you the first. Would you pray with me today? Father, you are a good God. And nothing is too hard for you. Father, we believe that you have our future, which is a good plan in your hands. And Father, you have created systems for us to operate in. That, Father, if we trust you, we trust the system of tithing and giving you the first, then, Father, we know that our focus will be on you and not on the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Father, you even ask us when our children ask. When our little boys and our little girls ask God, our dad, why why does God want us to tithe? Father, you said that we tell our children it's because there was a day when we were in slavery, in bondage, and you brought us out, and we give you the first, so that our children might know that we put you number one in our lives. And Father, we want you to know that you are everything to us. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 What a great-